if you would open your Bibles to James chapter 4 this morning. James chapter 4, we have just two verses in our text, verses 11 and 12. We're going to consider whether we're judging the law or obeying the law today. Whether we're judges or to be obedient ones. Tattling on your siblings was always a dicey prospect in the Graham household. Now, if you were in charge of monitoring your siblings, older or younger and they did something wrong, and you were in charge of enforcement, you were to tell mom and dad that things did not go as planned. And those children were told, you're to obey your older brother, your older sister, as if it were me saying it, as long as they're saying things I would say for you to do. So you need to discern the difference, and when I get home, if you have not done that, you will be liable to punishment. So that's the case. If you're in charge of monitoring, I expect you to tell me when I get home if they did not obey you in things that I would have wanted them to obey you in. Uh, The other time that I would want you to tell on your siblings is if they were doing something harmful to you or harmful to themselves. Uh, We we need to know these things. We need to prevent harm. Oh, by the way, if um, uh, Jason, if you could check the air conditioner, make sure it's on 70 for me. Just feeling a little warm here already. Um, if you're doing something harmful, we would, want you to, um, we would want you to tell us. But here's where it gets kind of fuzzy. A sibling comes in to tattle, and they just want to see their brother or their sister get in trouble. They're just eager to see this go down. And there's just something in their heart. And it, I'm not sure you can always tell what it is. I'm not sure you have a firm definition. Uh, maybe it's just a spirit that they want to control uh, their, their sibling. Maybe they are currying favor with the parent. I'm the obedient one. Uh, you know, these others are a bunch of sloths and disobedient. Um, I, we're on the same team. Mom and dad, you and me, we're on the same team. Um, I, I, I'm just more pure than my siblings. Or you've got this devilish delight. Billy's getting a spanking. They got their ear up to the door and they're just sickly giddy about a sibling getting in trouble. Or they develop this pattern of provoking a sibling to anger. And when the sibling blows up and does something wrong, then they tell and the sibling gets in trouble. And it's like piling on them, piling on them twice over. So... Often, what would happen is they would come and they would tattle and we'd say, oh, you know what, you're right. Um, your brother should not have gotten a soda pop out of the fridge. Brother, don't do that again. But you have a spirit of a tattletale. You are going to be disciplined severely for that. And so it was always a dicey prospect to come and tattle on your siblings in the Graham household. It was a hard call to make as a parent. What's in the heart? Is it good? Is it bad? Hard to know as a parent, and and so sometimes you administer discipline and say, now, if I've got your heart wrong, I apologize in advance, but we're going through with this discipline because I really believe your heart is wrong. Um, God knows your heart and my heart perfectly. And uh, God is speaking today about us when we speak evil about our brothers, and he knows that we have a manipulative, vengeful spirit. Look at verse number 11 of today's text. We're in James 4, verse number 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. 
he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We love your word. God, we're to open it and look for ourselves what we have uh, to be said to us about our baggage, about our sin. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would have free reign in all of our hearts, mine included. God, might we apply your word to us today. Help us to focus inwardly, not on our neighbor. God, help us to release ourselves from vengeful, judgmental attitudes. And God, help us to fall in line with your program. Lord, above all, might we not seek to supplant you as judge of the universe, as if you don't have this under control. Uh, Lord, guide us. I pray you'd give me strength and the ability to share your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. As James begins here, he says, uh, James commands us not to judge our brothers by speaking against them. In verse number 11, just that first phrase, look at that first phrase in verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The compound verb, speak against, it's the word speak and against, pushed together. It refers to degrading, to defaming, to slandering, and it will in immediate context be equated to judging your brother. Thus, the sin James is addressing in the local church is speaking verbal accusations against your brother or sister. One might think of Aaron and Miriam. They spoke against Moses. Just listen to Numbers chapter 12. What was in their heart as they spoke against Moses? Numbers 12 verse 1, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. Who or what is a Cushite? Cush is the nation south of Egypt. They were a people who were known for being very tall as an ethnicity. They were very tall. They were black. They were smooth-skinned. People described them as stunningly beautiful. The king of Cush, you might remember we were studying, was just like the two. Tall, smooth, uh, uh, smooth-skinned, and he was strong. He had a sword, and I forget the weight. It was something like I want to say 80 pounds was the weight of the sword. So if you can imagine two bags of salt for the water softener, you've got a sword that you're going to pick up at one end and you're going to wield the sword at one end. The guy was just amazingly strong. And in a, in a bit of a verbal uh, sparring with the king of Assyria, he had his emissaries, his, 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 uh, his, his um, diplomats, take his sword to the king of Assyria and said, you people cannot defeat Cush. You aren't even man enough to wield my sword. Here it is for you to try. So just imagine the king is in his court, the enemies come, and they dare you to try to wield their king's sword in front of everybody. (laughs) Not good, especially if the king was built like me. I just have to ignore that challenge, right? Um, so uh, anyway, uh, th- these people were, were known for their, for their beauty, for their tallness. And so here you have this black, tall, smooth skin, possibly stunning in appearance woman in a sea of Jews. And so uh, Moses married a Gentile. Is that a problem? Would God have a problem with that? Well, glaringly missing from Numbers 12 is any problem from God, and glaringly present in the genealogy of Jesus are three Gentile women, Tamar, uh, Ruth the Moabitess, and Rahab the the lady from Jericho. Yes. (laughs) The Canaanite from Jericho. Yeah, the harlot. Uh, So I would take it that this Cushite woman was a proselyte. 
And she was possibly tall and stunningly beautiful and black in the midst of the Jews. And look here, Miriam and Moses spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. They had a problem with it. God did not, but they had a problem. And they said, oh, there's more. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. What is that? Has, the, has God only spoken through Moses? Has, does he not speak through me too? That is a desire for what we call preeminence. Wanting to be somebody who is in charge. Who is a leader. In a time, in a position where you have not been asked to be a leader. And so God then in Numbers 12 rebukes Aaron and Miriam and he says this of Moses, when I speak with him, I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? It's not just that you're speaking against Moses. You are speaking against my servant. This, this is like me and the kids again, you know, raising kids. All right, you, you got boys who are growing into men, and they can have some opinions about mom and dad. And, and you know, of course, it's, it's a little harder to defend dad when they have opinions about dad. But if one of my sons, as a young man, said a disparaging word about my wife, uh, that's another story. You're not speaking about your mother. You're speaking about my wife. And if you think you're going to get by speaking about my wife that way, you and I have a bigger problem than you understand. God says, you're not just speaking against Moses. You are speaking against my servant. The man I chose to speak face to face with. I have appointed him. And your problem is not so much with Moses. Your problem is with my servant. And that will not stand. What was their criticism? of Moses, Aaron and Miriam, as they spoke against him, uh, something to do with family choices, with the Cushite woman. And what did they want in their heart? They wanted preeminence. They wanted a share of preeminence at the very least. What do James's readers want? Look at chapter 3 in James chapter 3, verse number 1. Many of you should not become, uh, not many of you should become teachers, rabbi, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Look at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Where comes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? What we have among James's readers, as I understand it, is a clamoring for leadership, a clamoring for regard, so much so that wannabe teachers, wannabe rabbis, will actually speak against one another seeking to be the one who is more accepted than the others, just like the tattletale, seeking to curry favor with the crowds by speaking against their brothers. McKnight says the sense of the term here is speaking accusingly, falsely, degradingly, dishonorably, and with libelous or slanderous intent in order to label a person as dangerous or unworthy. 
and it all begins with people wanting to be rabbis. Now, you say, I don't want to be a rabbi, so I'm clear of this text. I'm fine. I can't violate it. I, I don't have any of this problem. Uh, I, 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 want, I, want, I want to clamor for uh, preeminence in other issues, uh, much lesser issues. Uh, it applies to all of that. It's just, it's just so remarkable that people who want to be teachers are doing this to each other. People who want to be leaders in the local church are doing this to one another. It just heightens how awful and terrible. God said in Psalm 50, verse 19, you give your mouth free reign for evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I will rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Psalm 50, verse 19 through 21. Disagreements, friction, conflict, they're unavoidable in life, but if they end in personal attacks and judgmental attitudes, then we've taken things in a sinful direction. So we go here to James's next point as he advances in verse 11. When we speak evil against our brother, we speak evil against the law of God, and we distract ourselves. We distract ourselves from being law keepers by occupying ourselves with our brother in Christ. Look at verse 11 again. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now, how can speaking evil against your brother be speaking evil against the law? Here's what it does not look like. Um, uh, uh, brother so-and-so is stupid, and the law of God is stupid too. Uh, that, that's not what it's speaking of. Uh, nobody says that directly. Uh, rather, it probably has to do with the law's greatest command. Uh, we call it the golden rule. And when you speak against your brother, that speech is against the golden rule, which is a good summary of the law together with loving God. Listen to Leviticus 19, verse number 18. Listen to the negative side and the positive side. It's interesting how the two are paired. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. Okay, hear that? You should not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So taking vengeance and bearing a grudge is opposite in that passage from love of your brother. So when you're slandering someone, we might look at Leviticus 19, 18 and say that slandering is both bearing a grudge while taking vengeance, ruining someone's reputation. Is the greater sin here against your brother who you're slandering or is it against God who gave the law? Is it against the law itself? James 4.11 seems to be teaching that you are sinning against God's law and that you ought to stun, this ought to stun you into reconsidering your behavior. Think of all the distractions we face when we become a judge of the law, how we get distracted from being a doer of the law. I open the law and I'm supposed to be asking myself, how does the law apply to me? How do I need to change in, in light of what I've just read in the law, but instead I'm too busy judging my brothers and sisters and, and, and thinking about how it applies to this person, how it applies to that person and the other, when Pastor Tim needs to apply it to himself. I am now a distracted when I do that. I'm distracted from being a doer because I'm playing judge, something I have not been appointed by God to do. So, if you stop 
and think of all the people who have broken the law. If, you, if, if you're thinking of all the people in this room who really need to hear this sermon, <laughs> the message is lost on you. It's lost on me. That's what James is going to get at here next as we go to point number three. And it's really our longest point this morning. We're going to park here for a while. Be patient with me, please. But in judging our brothers, we are supplanting God in his supreme role as judge. And we're taking upon ourselves his role as judge. In verse number 12, verse 11 ends with, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge. He is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? It's interesting. I think James is reminding his Jewish readers of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. When he says uh, in in, uh, verse number 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge. God is one. But who are you? In other words, we would say in today's vernacular, who do you think you are? (laughs) There is one God who is judged. Who do you think you are to be doing these things? We are supplanting God. Let me give you an illustration of how ridiculous this is. If if you're not embarrassed, if you don't raise your hand, you're not lying, because if you're embarrassed, you can keep your hand down. That's not a lie. But if you're not too embarrassed to admit it, how many of you have ever had a speeding ticket? Raise your hand with me, because I have, you know, if you're not too embarrassed, okay? Now, how many have had multiple speeding tickets, two or more? My hand is up. Okay, right, right, okay. Now imagine a person who just has handfuls of, I I know I have at least a handful of speeding tickets. I don't know if I have two handfuls of speeding tickets, but I know I have at least a handful. But imagine somebody who has handfuls of speeding violations and they're summoned to traffic court in Goodhue County. And so being summoned to traffic court, they bring their black robe, their white rig, and a gavel. And they enter into traffic court and they say, Judge, excuse me, you're in my seat. I've been summoned to court. Surely I am here today to judge people. Total misunderstanding, right? Totally out of place. Now compare your frequency of traffic violations with your frequency of sinning against the law of God. How many handfuls of sins against God's law do you have a day? (laughs) Multiple for me. Multiple. Is God inviting me to don on a black robe and a white wig and have a gavel and pronounce judgment on others when I read his law? When it comes to the law of God, you and I both have bags full of transgression too heavy to bear. God has not invited us to study his law today in order to begin picking picking through other people's baggage. Keep your hands in your own baggage and deal with your own issues. That goes for me when I'm preparing messages, as well as you when you're hearing messages. Our focus, our application needs to land on our own selves. Now God says, do not judge. When he says, who are you to judge your neighbor? He's saying, do not judge. Note that, I do have to note that there are times when God does distribute acts of judgment to you. Uh, Biblically, there are times when, just just like my children, when I leave somebody in charge, uh, you you are to tattle. When I appoint you in charge of something and and ask you to report back to me or ask you to be the enforcer in some way. Uh, One of those examples is if you are a human judge or a police officer 
God has put you in the justice system. Romans 13.3 says, Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. What do swords do? They cut and kill people. The government does not bear the sword, the ability to cut and kill, in vain. He is God's servant. He, and it continues, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. But in the, in the, in the case of human government, God says, this is my vengeance, to have human government punishing wrongdoers. So if you're a judge, if you're part of that judicial system, then God has assigned to you duties within limits to judge human affairs. If you are a parent, God has assigned you the duty to judge your children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. An Old Testament Israeli command repeated in the New Testament to us today, to the a Gentile church. If you're a part of the church, there's times where the church is supposed to judge. Matthew 18, 17, if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The church is to judge. In 1 Corinthians 5, we've had to deal with church discipline for drunkenness, for sexual sins. In 1 Corinthians 5, 3, Paul says, For though absent in the body, I am present in the spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Sexual immorality here. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. James is not rebuking or canceling out church discipline. He's not canceling out parents judging the behavior of children. He is not canceling out human government judging our behavior uh, civilly. As Doug Moo says, James rebukes jealous, censorious speech by which we condemn others as being wrong in the sight of God. Next, we need to note God's very unique credentials in verse number 12 to be judge. Look at verse 12. He who is able to save or to destroy. God has the terrifying task of judging the universe. And what makes it terrifying is that God has and exercises his ability to save some, but also to destroy many. Jesus said, wide is the way that leads to destruction. Many there be that go at. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Few there be that find it. God is the rightful judge. Listen to what God says in Deuteronomy 32, 39. See now that I, even I am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. That is not a pretty picture of God. It is a truthful picture of God.
It's a reality that you need to come to grips with if you've never considered your sin, God's judgment, and the salvation that is freely offered in Jesus Christ. God warned Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, before there's ever sin in the world, He warned that sin would bring a curse upon mankind, a curse of death. That was not a pretty warning, but it was a true warning. And if you've ever watched a loved one in pain, if you've ever watched a loved one expire from some disease like cancer, you know that sin and judgment is an ugly affair. Everything God warned Adam and Eve about in the Garden of Eden was absolutely true. We are under a curse of death. It's not pretty, but it's true. And your only hope of escape is that God the Son has died for you. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? This is your only hope. You need to consider that. God is able to save or to destroy. You need to reconcile yourself with that. But here's where God maybe falls short for some of us Christians. Everyone in this room who is trusting Jesus Christ as his or her Savior is going to enter into eternal bliss. When you die, you're going to be in God's presence. It's so beautiful that that Paul said, I'm between the two, whether to stay here and be fruitful or to be in his presence. What's that entry going to be like for your brother or sister who has wounded you? When they get to heaven, let's say you precede them to heaven, you die first, you're already there, you're off to the side, and here they come into heaven, here they come before God's presence, And there you happen to be, and God says, now wait a minute. There's some issues between you and this person over here, Pastor Tim. Let's just call it Pastor Tim. I'm up there, all right? And and before I let you into heaven, you have to deal with some issues with Pastor Tim. Is it going to be that way? Not at all. So... Whoever has hurt you, whoever's wronged you, has this blissful entry into God's presence. And, and you have no assurance that, that anything negative is even going to be said to them because Jesus Christ took all of their sin upon and shame upon himself, removed it all. So whatever they've done against you has been born by Christ and God's going to do nothing to them when they get to heaven. So maybe you better just handle that right now with a little vengeance. Punish them. Make sure they're sorry because God maybe is going to be sitting down on the job when it comes time for that. Something in your heart is like that tattletale. Bobby's getting a spanking. For some people, their home is a refuge. When you go to work, work is hard, it's chaotic. There's maybe politics and enmity, and, and you just you, you, you try to make peace, but it's a struggle. And then you go home, and your home is a refuge. It's a place of peace. It's a place where you could just oh, praise God for my spouse, praise God for my family. For other people, it's the reverse. The home is a war zone. There's yelling. There's fighting. There's anger. There's vengeance. There's one person talking against another. Maybe even a parent currying favor with the kids against the other parent. As if you want to be the favorite parent of the kids, if you can imagine anything so twisted and backwards. 
let's be careful that the local church does not become a place of stridency and stress. That we aren't judging our brothers and sisters in Christ. Those who judge the brothers judge the law. Those who judge the brothers fail to judge themselves. And those who judge their brothers offend the judge of the universe. So when I utter a few choice words to evaluate my neighbor, my brother in Christ, there's many ways I can excuse and rationalize that. One is, they are a sinner, like me. Every day, they sin too. So how wrong can my words of judgment be, after all? If I'm wrong, it's not such a bad sin because I've just accused them of the wrong sin. They're still a sinner. So perhaps I was mistaken. All of us are mistaken from time to time. And my mistake was labeling them with the wrong sin. How bad could that be? But here, here's what James says is going on in my heart and in your heart. You are full of worldly lust, wanting your own way. You are wanting preeminence. In the church. Second, James says that you are judging the law. You know better than the law. The law commands you to love your neighbor. No, 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 no. You judge your neighbor. Third, James says that you are distracting yourself from being a doer of the law by becoming a judge. You neglect your own baggage in order to occupy yourself with the baggage of others. Keep to your own baggage. Fourth, you have supplanted the God of the universe in judging matters that he has reserved for himself. You have sat in his seat as if he were to be regarded as incapable or even derelict in his duties of judging the church. You need to get back to your place. I need to get back to my place. Let God, let God's word judge us individually. Do not judge your neighbor. And certainly do not pronounce judgments against your neighbor. Let's take just a moment and reflect quietly and pray. How does does this command today from James to not judge our neighbors, how does this apply to each of us individually? Let's take a moment, reflect, and ask God to direct and redirect in our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have created all. You are God of the universe. All idols are false, created things. Father, you are good. You are righteous. You judge. And God, each one of us are so thankful that our baggage of sin, too heavy to bear, has been borne by our Savior Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. God, this does not give us a cavalier attitude toward your law, but it does give us, Lord, a very, very tremendous sense of relief 
that we do not bear these sins in your presence. God, I do pray that you would help us to read your word, to learn what it means to love you and to love our neighbor. And God, help us to occupy ourselves with, with our, 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 our focus on our need to obey you. And God, I pray that your spirit would just do a wonderful work in each of our hearts as we participate with you in this task. God, help us to be willing to repent. Help us, Father, to be willing to love. I pray, Lord, that your house would remain a place of joy. And God, there would be peace here. That, Father, coming to church would be a sense of relief and safety, emotional safety. And uh, God, that we would have the same heart, the heart of Jesus toward one another. Father, I do pray that while we should not be many rabbis, we should not be many teachers, that we would all seek to be encouragers, disciplers of one another. Help us, Lord, to look for opportunities to lift each other up and to promote each person's walk with you in joy and in sanctification. Lord, Guide us in this. We thank you for your word. We thank you for its cleansing effect on our hearts. Might your spirit have free reign to continue to apply. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.